Okay. Don't worry about that. Keep leaking the classified uh, documents. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like a, I always think that there's some kind of, um, there's always a bigger picture behind it. Cause the easy answer is, you know, shoot it down, um, do whatever. And you could have shot it down. They probably could have shot it down before anybody would have even known it was there. Um, oh, yeah. But there might be another, you know, reason why we would like that Chinese balloon to fly mm-hmm. through U.S. airspace. Um, and you always got to think about stuff like that, because really whole community and like the department of even like. I always like to think the majority of government are pretty good guys. Um, and they're usually they share a lot of the same like real core values with a lot of guys like an art like kind of community. Um, and they're really smart. I mean, they're epically smart. Uh, and they're they're trying to always, you know, they have they're, they're trying to defeat, you know, uh, all of these external threats all the time. And they're doing it in like super novel ways that are just, you know, uh, you know, from a smart dude. <laughs> they're definitely playing some like 40 chess that yeah. us plebeians aren't aware of. Yeah, I wouldn't say like 40 chess. I would just say they're come. You know, there's a lot more to a, a lot of stuff, especially when it comes to, um. ISR like capabilities and like the spy versus spy stuff that goes on with that, then like then meets the eye. And I would say not of it. A lot of it isn't really like novel. It's just like when you in 20 years, you know, when some of it is like declassified or something, you look at it and be like, Oh, that's actually pretty, that is pretty smart. I can't believe they came up with that, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> that's how I feel looking at the, uh, there's a, a show on Netflix where they go over mm-hmm. some of the, the old spy gadgets like from the CIA from like yeah cold war and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. it's like wow that's that's some wacky gadgets for the 70s someone was 80s. using their noodle with that someone was yeah. using their noodle yeah very cool stuff like especially the stuff for the 60s like a lot of the stuff um the ISR stuff from like uh Vietnam you know which is wild to me to think Vietnam is so far you know in the past now um that they were doing like some of the um, on-man ground sensors they were dropping along the Ho Chi Minh Trail are just like novel. You know, they're just like, who thought of that? Uh, they had one that could, uh, so they captured like, a, I don't want to get this wrong, but it was a, a Warsaw Pack truck. So like a Ural truck, um, which is like the old general Soviet transport vehicle that you see, you know, had like um, Ural uh, jeeps too and you still see them around like i've seen some of them like burning in like ukraine and uh they figured out that the engine coil had like a defect where it was leaking like this particular frequency of like some rf was leaking from it and when they so when they captured it how they found out when they captured it they put it in an rf chamber and ran a bunch of spec in and they found this thing and then they found that it was repeatable and so they started dropping these sensors up and down the trail that would pick up the rf signature of the engine coil and they could start guessing on troop strength based off of that and that's how they would do some of their strikes on the ho chi minh trail it's it's just novel it's like super cool to me god damn yeah Yeah, those things that it's like technologically that's not that complicated Mm -hmm. but but the level of intel you can get out of it it. right the application of it is insane yeah, you're just thinking outside of the box. And I think it's like, that's what a lot of the thinkers, you know, are in those places are doing. They're thinking outside of the box. There's like, you know, I would say there's probably like technology that is like super sexy and cool. Um, and that's like super, like that would blow your mind, you know. Um, but 
I think a lot of it is just smart guys making smart decisions, you know, and they're just like, they're figuring it out. They're making their own way, you know? Uh, and to me, that's like dope. That's super, super cool. I just wish, I mean, obviously it can't be for obvious reasons, but I wish less of it was classified. I yeah, want to know really about more of it. I want to look into it. Yeah. To well, me, there's um, a, there's a, like an overclassification of stuff. Like things are overly classified and there's a lot of like good articles to read about um, things being overclassified. I just read a book. I can't remember the name of it. It was a, she's written, it was written by like an intelligence fellow. She's, she's very smart. Um, and she was talking about how overclassification is really like killing the whole process because, you know, there are some things that are secret, but you know, there are some things that don't need to be secret. Um, and right. Then I'll, I'll, let me try to find the book while, while we're talking here uh, so I can give it a shout out. Cause it's a really insightful book. It's kind of boring uh, parts, um, but it's just very cool uh, kind of insight into the intelligence community as a whole. Well, I've heard that the spy museum at Langley, Virginia, that you need a security clearance to even go into it and look at the old gadgets from back in the day. Okay. Yeah. See, I want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anything Anyone about listening, it. Yeah, if I'm you always... want to sponsor my TS, <laughs> that would be very cool. I've always heard um, okay, stories well, about before, these. Before uh... we go any deeper, because oh, this is sorry, already, yeah. like, like fantastic. Um, That's but, why I just started recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, tell the people uh, who you are and and what you do as much as you can. And cool. And yeah, you're so, very cool. Awesome. Um, well, I appreciate you having me on. First off, this is only the second podcast I've ever done, uh, so really appreciate the invite. And uh, my name is Josh. I founded and I'm the owner of a company called Disco Three Two. Um, we make a bunch of communications accessories. We kind of found our niche making. Um, like military grade accessories work with um, civilian hardware. So that was kind of like where we uh, first got our kind of foothold in the industry. Um, and now we're just trying to, the big, big, <clears throat> our big goal is to bring um, a lot of this, these manufacturing processes like back to the United States uh, for commercial, like for, yeah. you know, for cheap, I wouldn't say cheaper for, but for like non more accessible more accessible radios. Yeah. Um, so they're, you know, we're trying to bring a lot of that back. Most of that stuff is like offshore. Um, most of the, most of the accessories that you see for sale, um, mm -hmm. even, you know, like clones and stuff that looks like it's, um, you know, mill spec or looks military in nature. They're usually made over, uh, in the, china and we're trying to just my, my my main goal is to bring that back so we've been just focusing on building manufacturing capacity and that kind of stuff in the states um it's not easy to do these days it's not easy uh and you know we like snowballed into it so we started really small and then we just <laughs> taken everything and then put it right back into the company and uh it's it's panning out a little bit we just moved into a new facility so with this new facility uh, we will have uh, more capability uh, to keep on putting out, you know, kind of novel products to market, uh, but products that we think should be there. So, anyways, thanks for having me on. Enough about me. No, no, that's <laughs> awesome. I, I have no 
I'm not an expert in the field, but I love communications and playing with communications equipment and, and all that stuff. And like me and many other people on the private side, it started with getting a Baofeng of some kind and mm-hmm. playing with that and realizing, hey, this, this is kind of cool. I could talk to people. And then just tumbling down the the very deep rabbit hole that is uh, comms and comms equipment and the various oh, yeah. applications of them. It's a very, uh, the rabbit hole is deep. Um, and you can, you know, you can really get over, it could be overwhelming for a guy trying to get into it, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Especially a guy that's making a, uh, intelligent, trying to make it a, an intelligent decision on what he wants to purchase. Cause he wants to make like a purchase that's going to be like, it's going to last, uh, yeah. it's going to be robust and, you know, like the typical guys from, you know, like the gun community, uh, which I'm proud to be a part of, uh, they're looking for something that is just, you know, like something that they can, uh, you know, they could not waste money on. Basically they're looking for something that they're, you know, they've been burned five times, six times before. Now they're doing a ton of research on mm-hmm. this. And when they start doing all that research, they go down that rabbit hole, you know, and it gets more and more confusing. So, well, and especially <laughs> on the civilian side, like you're saying, like most, a lot of guys who are getting into this stuff don't do this for a living. They can't mm-hmm. just spend all day learning just this stuff. I mean, look at, you know, actual units and stuff. There's a guy dedicated to communications. There's a guy dedicated to uh, breaching. There's, you know, mm-hmm. the, the specific roles. And then you get your average Joe Schmo like us. It's like, well, fuck, if we want to know how to do it, we got to learn it or find someone else who knows it. Yeah, no, we, get get to, it. we get to learn it all. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's prohibitive too, cause you get all of this like government, uh, oversight and people get very confused about it. And you know, they're, they won't, you know, they don't want to get rolled up for something stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, especially so with radios. Yeah. Especially you know, there's, with radios. Yeah. And there's a, I, you know, we just brought like the Bay of Fang back into it and I'm just happy that the little thing came along and it like really opened up a bunch of dudes into like a really cool kit, like skill set. you know, like, um, it's just another tool in like their kit bag, and it's opened a lot of guys up to like the ham hobby, um, mm-hmm. which is very cool. You know, that's a different type of communications, and I would say like a um, what we kind of concentrate on, like more like a tactical uh, communication yeah. standpoint. But the operational experience those guys get just like running those nets week after week and BSing about whatever on there pays dividends if they really have to use it because they're so used to doing it, you know, that's a problem is when, um, if, if there was a time where you really had to use some of this stuff under like a stressful situation, you just need to have a little bit of experience, just be comfortable with it. So you're able to do it like, you know, calmly, coolly and collectively. Um, and that's where the ham guys really have a, a hand up because I mean, these guys, some of them, they have so much operational experience. They've been doing it since, you know, before I was born. Um, yeah. And they have a, they have kind of their thumb on uh, how to communicate effectively. And, you know, they run contests where they're trying to make like the longest contact over HF or they're trying to do stuff and you send like digital packets and stuff. They're trying to do yeah. all sorts of things. And there's a whole other community there. And I always, <clears throat> you know, a lot of guys are kind of anti you know, ham because you have to sign up for like a federal license or whatever. But I tell you what, man, uh, some of the most of the best communicators I know personally are hams. Um, and 
I would say there's probably no better place outside of the military as a young guy to really learn basic skills that get you into communications and then like a ham club somewhere. It's crazy. I saw a video the other day of a group of guys that um, were tracking the uh, orbit of the ISS and found that mm-hmm. uh, at a certain window um, over them at certain times of day that they could, yeah. um, they could check in and actually talk with them. Yeah. There's a ham station on ISS and you can make contact with it. That's a lot of guys. That's like on a lot of guys um, bucket list. That's you know, one of the stations they want to get contact with. Um, because it takes a little bit of skill and it, the window is only open for a short period of time. Cause like you're talking about before, like it's kind of in a lower orbit and it, it goes by very fast. So I've watched a couple of YouTube videos of the astronauts talking back to ground stations and it's, it's pretty cool. And I've listened a few times, um, trying to do it myself and I've never made contact, uh, with it, but I've listened and tried to, and it's cool. Just listen to everybody trying to like hop on and, yeah time to jump on and and want to say that they did it yeah like half of the transmissions you know they don't get to the iss you're hearing a bunch of like a ground you know guys on the ground trying to um talk up to them but uh not many can get through just because they're not transmitting correctly or like on the right using the right antenna or the right azimuth they don't even know where it's at um but yeah it's cool anyways so um how much are you able able to discuss of your own background and, and getting, oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. So, <laughs> um, I'm a man of many mysteries. No, I, uh, <laughs> retired from the army. Um, you know, as an infantryman, uh, I came in the army in like, uh, early two thousands. Um, where I really got into radios is, uh, after I was in, uh, I was in this unit called the old guard. I don't know if you're too familiar with the army. Uh, but the old guard is like a ceremonial unit in Washington, DC. And, uh, that was my first duty assignment. And while I was there, um, I actually got deployed and not very many people get deployed from that unit, but my company, I was in a Delta company one, three, if anybody knows what that is, who's listening, we got deployed to Africa and, uh, we were there for 15 months. And while I was there, I, I got, my platoon got moved down to a little camp in Kenya called Manda Bay. Um, and a few years ago, this camp was the one that Al-Shabaab came and attacked in, uh, in Kenya. And uh, while I was there, it just kind of opened up my eyes that there was like this whole other side of the military um, because of the guys that would come in and out of there. And so I decided I didn't really want to, I wanted to try to do other stuff. So I was talking to a buddy of mine and he told me about this unit called Long Range Surveillance. Um, and I had come up on orders to go to Fort Lewis, Washington. And so when I got up there, I contacted the company, the LERS company there, and I got uh, assigned there. So I was able to go through, you know, like the little little tryout they do. I think it was like a three-day thing where I had to do like a PT test and a road motion, land nav. And I think there's some like Kim's games, which are some like remembering things and writing them down games. Um, and I got assigned there. And when I got assigned there is when I really started getting into radios in the service and like really looking at it as an adult i had been into it for a long time i'd always i'd been in the radio since i was very young i had like two or three police scanners by the time i was 13 in my room and i was running antennas in my tree in my backyard and i was like pretty much you know doing i was pulling in all sorts of signals back then that i shouldn't have been because like cordless phones back then were like wide open um all sorts of stuff was wide open so i was just like listening to everything in my neighborhood 
And that's what hooked me. But when I got to that unit at Fort Lewis, I really was the first time I got access to like very high end, like top the big know, boy toys. communication stuff. Yeah. And you mentioned before <clears throat> that there's always like a dedicated radio guy. Uh, that's true uh, to an extent, but it's normally at, like at a higher level, you know? So on a six man team, I was a team sergeant for a six man reconnaissance team. Uh, we didn't have an actual like dedicated, you know, 25 series RTO or radio telephone operator on our team. We were all 11 Bravos. So we had to like really learn. And I found out very fast that the better I was with the radio, the more opportunities I would have to go out and do missions because the commander and his boss, they felt more confident, you know, if you could go out and you could make every single comma window, like you could make sure every time they called you, you picked up the radio, they knew exactly what was going on. And really it just helped them mitigate a little bit of risk through me just being a huge radio nerd. So I ended up, my team ended up getting to do a lot of stuff in Iraq. We got to do a few, um, little like set asides, like I would call like set aside operations, just because of the fact that we were making, we were good on the radio. Um, and then, uh, from, Corlers, I left and I was a in the Pathfinders in the 101st. So I was like a platoon sergeant in the 101st Airborne and the Pathfinder Company. So like we're one of the only, uh, we're still like on jump status then and, and wearing Maroon Berets in the 101st, which is a cool place to be. And I did a trip to Afghanistan with them. And then I came to Bragg. I uh, got to Bragg. We, uh, I was a platoon sergeant in the 82nd for a stint. And then I started hopping other assignments on Fort Bragg and I ended up retiring uh, from a place called SATMO, which is like the army's oldest security and training management organization. And my last TDY I did with them was to Kiev uh, about three years ago. So yeah, that's, it's a pretty cool, I had a pretty cool little stint in the service. I'm, I'm proud of, proud of my service, but I don't, I try not to let it define who I am. It sounds like you got to do a lot more cool stuff than uh, at least a lot of the people we know. <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was really interesting because I was in a lot of like non-conventional conventional units, if that makes sense. Like I was in these units yeah. like long range surveillance and uh, the Pathfinders. And we had these like met these mission sets or like mission essential task list had these tasks that were not common to normal infantrymen. So it's a pretty cool place to be. But it also makes you, I think, a little bit um, more of a jack of all trade and master of none, if that makes sense. Because you, in those organizations, you're doing all of this non-standard stuff, these non-standard tasks, but you don't get a lot of the logistical support that would go into somebody on in the soft side doing a non-standard task, if if that makes sense. Um, you're kind of bastardized in those organizations where you're trying to figure out everything on your own. And that really led to me learning a lot more radio stuff too. Is just, we're just trying to figure the stuff out. That is awesome. Where do you see um, the future of uh, communications going, at least for the, the, the military and, and the private network as things continue um, yeah. to with mesh networking and mm-hmm. um, digital radios and all that stuff? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, and there's a, you know, from the, so I look at a lot of this stuff through the eyes of like a tactical person. So tactical is like the, would be like the lowest level, you know, like tactical, operational, and strategic. And all, all my stuff comes from like the tactical level, like the low level. Um, and I'm sure there's guys, you know, way more well-versed on all the operational and strategic level communications. Um, 
But I think what's going to happen is that there's going to be like a fundamental shift in the way we communicate tactically. And instead of, you know, going for like a signature management, like making sure that we have, um, we're like camouflaging ourselves in the RF spectrum and like hiding, um, making sure we're not uh, being able to be targeted very easily, you know, about, about counter battery fire and, and, you know, enemy long range fires and stuff. And I think we're going to flip a switch with these new technologies, especially mesh networking and, and AI a little bit. Um, and we're going to go into something like spectrum domination where we're like dominating the spectrum. We're like emitting from everything. So you have to target everything and the emitters all kind of look the same because they're all through a mesh network. They're transmitting the same data. Um, I think you'll start seeing things like uh, maybe, you know, like uh, even like deception plans being just forced onto uh, transmitters like guys, you know, let's just like put it, let me give you an example. I think there'll be things like, say that we're going to launch like a huge offensive or something. Um, I think that the strategic thinkers, like the guys making the overall plan will be able to inject like deception into the RF spectrum without any of the operators, even knowing it's happening and without them losing any capability, like, you know, increase power, decrease power, make it look different just based off these big mesh networks. And I think that's going to be a big fundamental shift. But, you know, when I, was getting out of the service there was like big emphasis after the you uh you know initial uh invasion of ukraine in 2014 of really looking at these conventional problems and one of the big ones was like the rf thing like really trying to get out of uh i would say like a global war on terror kind of mindset where we're, we're staying on the radio and doing like i used to listen to these commanders do these battle update briefs in the evenings like they're, we call them bubs, but basically it's like when all the bosses get on the radio and we start giving updates and it's like a meeting over the radio and they would just like talk and talk and talk. And some, some of these commanders would be on the radio for like transmitting for like minutes straight. <laughs> and those were like hard habits to break. So they were like trying to break those habits after 2014. And a lot of the <clears throat> big training centers like uh, JRTC, CMTC over in Germany and NTC out in California, at least for the army. They were really trying to break a lot of those bad habits. Uh, but then what I think happened, you know, over the past few years is the introduction of these really, really capable mesh networks like uh, uh, Trellis and uh, Persistence uh, MPU5. Um, they're seeing the really the advantage that you gain from sharing so much information so fast to so many people like vastly outweighs the disadvantage that you get from showing your position. Yeah. And I think that's starting to kind of come around a little bit. Also, a lot of it has to do with as commanders, like people that are in charge of the military as like younger guys that grew up around technology, like modern tech are starting to get more positions to make decision-making positions basically you're starting to see that change a lot because these guys are much more comfortable with technology if that makes sense yeah right. the people who have been born into this technology mm-hmm. will say you know yeah, they're, they're, they're really getting into to... decision making mm-hmm. yeah levels and now they're saying yeah hey instead of this old head thinking let's let's start using this new technology yeah, and you're starting to, you know, they they really value fast. You know, they're really used to having uh, information fed very fast. And I, one of the things that you run into and is, 
you know, a problem is we used to have, we used to call it fog of war. You know, that's a Clausewitz thing. Fog of war um, basically means that like you can't make a decision because you don't know what the F's going on. Um, what we started to see kind of was the opposite, you know, for a while we're getting too much information to lower level commanders. And now they're trying to use all this networking stuff to try to figure out, okay, let's get the correct information to the decisive point at the decisive time to make the correct decision. Um, and that's when you see these systems like ATAC coming in and everyone's starting to use that a lot. And yeah. at the higher levels, there's even more information sharing systems and they're, they're changing so constantly. I couldn't even speak very um, intelligently on anything really at like the, the battalion level we're above anymore. I'm sure it's like changing drastically. The the fast evolution, fast paced evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a lot of communication a, itself advances quickly. I'm assuming so does um, countering it, like electronic warfare. I've seen lots of yeah. lots of stuff <laughs> coming out of crazy Ukraine of, um, especially the Ukrainians uh, using some kind of EW. Yeah, you know, like uh, it's kind of like what's that on Jurassic Park when they say like life finds a way, yeah. or war finds a way. You know, guys figure out stuff in war. Um, it's it's amazing to watch. Uh, but yeah, they figured out a lot of the stuff and they're using a lot of what we call what there's like a phrase called COTS. It just means commercial off the shelf. Using a lot of COTS technology that didn't spend, you know, 20 years in the DOD pipeline getting developed and injecting that in the battlefield. And I think a lot of commanders are looking at that and being like, hey, we we need to be that agile as well. And and you see some of that with the DOD now and some of the projects they have is they're trying to really get out of this long life cycle issue with with technology and really be more agile and be able to like pick and choose stuff more quickly and get it you know get it really get it to the warfighter as fast as possible without a huge you know 10 year or 12 year plan to get it to yeah get it down to the line so and we've talked previously but especially again going back to ukraine um like the drones the, yeah. the commercial drones they're using to great effect. I have the exact same model sitting right here next to me that mm-hmm. didn't spend a lick, not even a second in DOD hands. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. works like son of a. Yeah, they're really good. I love uh, man. It's actually a funny story. A lot of my friends uh, know I've crashed a few drones um, and uh, in this weird spots, I crashed one like uh, watching uh, some ar- army buddy of mine. That uh, was uh, riding a tube behind our family friend's boat, and uh, it, it lost like a, a a propeller on it, or I don't want to call it a propeller. I lost a, a rotor, or the quad rotor blade, um, and it uh, crashed into the water. And there's like a split second of it underwater. And then I got another one, and I was like bragging to everyone that I got it, and I crashed it into a tree like a week later. And it was up there for <laughs> it was up there for like two months. Um, and I had a tree get struck by lightning out here and they, they brought a cherry picker out and I had to go up to this guy. I felt like such, such a child. I was like, Hey, can you check up there if there's a drone? And he <laughs> did. And they brought it down and it worked. It was a DJI and it worked. I mean, it'd been, dude, there'd been storms. Like those things are robust. I got, I really have no issue with them. I think they're very cool. And I think the payloads that guys are uh, starting to attach to them, you know, very, very, very cool. You see a lot of comm stuff um, getting slung up there now. Like one of the big ones is Gotenna. Uh, they'll yeah. attach Gotenna to drone all the time, and they'll get big 
big limitation with Gotenna is just that it operates in a part of this spectrum that's just real uh, needs line of sight. You know, you got to have it, it doesn't it doesn't go very far. It doesn't have very good propagation properties like for for going far. But man, you know, altitude is the poor man's gain. So the higher you get an antenna, the further you're going to be able to transmit. If you get a drone going up, you know, you can take that sucker up to a couple thousand feet. And you could probably talk for 25, 30, 40 miles at altitude on a Gotenna. Uh, so they're very cool. It's nuts. I mean, yeah. just that level of advantage out of mm-hmm. a consumer off the shelf, relatively cheap solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, drones are it's very cool. Proliferation of drones. The prices come down. You can mm-hmm. carry them in a backpack now. You can throw them in the yeah. air in what a minute and a half. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, well, they're very cool. They're good. They're good too. For I mean, um, just uh, the recce portion of having a drone. Um, I've been around a lot of drones uh, that are on my team uh, that are doing reconnaissance for me. You know, and I haven't, I've had, I haven't had to deal really with red air. Uh, in combat in my career because it just like wasn't a thing um but mm-hmm. the amount of the advantage that you get from just having some eyes up in the sky that are like scouting around for you doing a little bit of reconnaissance around your area i mean there's like mind-blowing the advantage that you can get from that um yeah I, it, you it can't really overstate it a lot of the proliferation of cell phones like the early GWAT, like back in the day mm-hmm. um like right after the invasion, uh, guys are talking mm-hmm. about that. If you saw anyone with a cell phone, that's a big red flag. Who has a cell you know, phone? Well, it was anything. It was really any back then. You know, I don't want to say that we were we were naive, but man, we really were naive. Um, I think we learned a lot of lessons in the global in, in those in those wars. I and yeah, we were targeting. Like, that's a fact. Like we're definitely targeting guys with radios, and cell phones, and stuff, especially at nighttime. Um, and I think on, unfortunately, I think that a lot of farmers that were just very smart that were working at nighttime ended up getting targeted digging at nighttime, especially in our, um, just because they were falling within like a legal ROE, you know, we had like established an ROE and we had like, let the populace know, um, not to do these things, but these guys, it was like ingrained in them to work at nighttime. Cause it's, you know, it's fucking 120 degrees during the day. So the, what does a smart guy do? He works at nighttime um, and ends up getting targeted, you know, by an Apache that he can't even hear it's shooting him with, you know, it's 30 millimeter from a couple thousand meters away. Whew, uh, yeah. And so before he knows it. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff I'm sure happened. Um, I'm sure we killed a lot of bad guys digging at nighttime too. Um, but yeah, we did do that. Um, it's, it's funny that you mentioned how just how the beginning of the GWAT when you hear all this stuff about the both the Beofang and like lack of capability that it has, it always makes me crack up a little bit because dude, at the beginning of the GWAT, we didn't have encrypted comms at the squad level. That was not a thing. Like we were using Garmin rhinos, like we were using Midland radios on GMRS frequencies to communicate. And then at the platoon level, a lot of times there, or maybe the squad leader, if he was lucky, would have an ASIP, which is like our secure radio. Uh, which is based off the Singar's uh, waveform. And, you know, it just cracks me up because you hear these guys read these comments and stuff, and I'm just like laughing. I'm like, dude, 20 years ago, we didn't have any of this crap. You know, the first real introduction of encrypted or 
and, and, uh, really capable communications at the squad level for the army, at least. And I can't speak for any of the services. I'm going to speak for like what I know um, was when we got embitters. We started getting embitters, um, which is a, you know, a radio made by Talus um, that had crypto on it. So we could, you know, we could put, uh, we could encrypt our Syngarth traffic and we could also go and do some other stuff like frequency hop with it and had a few other waveforms and it could do some satcom with it although satcom wasn't <clears throat> wasn't used with it a lot um but when we got those it was like a game changer for us and really that proliferation did not happen until after the invasion of afghanistan and well into iraq um so yeah just a it, little it, tidbit of knowledge there about it, it's crazy uh, how much uh technology has come in such a short amount of time mm-hmm. yeah, especially on the combo go. game Oh, yeah. At SHOT Show, you mentioned uh, some products you're currently developing that I'm really excited about. Are, are you able to talk about those yet? Yeah, so we're working. We've been working on a whole bunch of stuff, um, especially moving into this new building is going to give us uh, a lot more capability, maybe on the manufacturing side, because we just needed the, you know, we needed like three phase power. We needed a whole bunch of stuff that you just can't, you have to kind of make a dedicated facility for um, from the ground. And yeah, we're working on uh, a few things. One of them uh, is a gateway, um, and I've been ta- I've been really it's Mojave Repeater and I um, had this idea that we came up with, uh, and we're running with it now um, to kind of integrate um, all sorts of different radio networks uh, to other radio networks, and kind of like a, a really easy way that would be. Uh, usable for guys like us, you know, guys that are just getting into this um, and and really trying to just integrate between teams and things. And I think that's going to be very cool. We're always working on new, like push to talk, new accessories, trying to make antennas uh, better, uh, you know, make our own products better, uh, improving, you know, coming up with different versions. Like obviously we're going to definitely come up with another, you know, Discus is constantly getting improved, but we have other things on the horizon for that um, in the future. But really, um, I guess we're always improving products and coming up with new ones. But the big one that like is kind of uh, very cool is this uh, gateway project, um, which is, I think, a lot of guys are really going to like. So, yes. Um, and some of the features you discussed for the next uh, discus, I'm really excited about because it's something that uh, Ben and I have been looking for uh, for a while for our own purposes. Um, is yeah. the ability to uh, record traffic like native? Yeah. So actually, I, you know, we have I have that right now. Um, we're, that's a project that's been done. So we have discus T, and we've offered it uh, to. Some guys are using it at like training centers to record specific events, specifically like uh, events that require heavy coordination over, you know, um, voice comms. And mm-hmm. it's it's really important, I think, that during like the if you execute some of these more complicated tasks that you when you're doing your after action reviews, you can really have like a record of like what happened. You can hold people accountable for things they say on the radio um, because it really can inject you know, to use another tactical t- t- catchphrase of, you know, 2015 or 2012, inject a lot of friction uh, <laughs> into the operation. Um, and when you, you're not, you know, guys forget really quickly, especially um, ground forces and these after action reviews, because that 
they're not normally down, at least like at the lower levels of the company level and below, they're not really fed a lot of recorded, you know, radio traffic um, off of their nets and told to improve on it. And I've always been really envious of fighter pilots and their ability to AAR video because they've got those gun cams going all the time. And when they get into these like mock dog fights or mock engagements and they go back and they then go moment um, by moment and dissect. Yeah, they go and back they and they even really have like a 3D simulation. They yeah, can see exactly they, what happened. Well, well, that part of it, that part, the simulation part showing where units are in, in, in the battlefield at that time and place does happen a lot at our national training centers. So I don't want to like take that. Like that's a big part of the AAR process. Like they that's definitely cool. know where every unit is. But what they don't do is like say you're doing uh you're culminating exercises at home station. And usually that involves some kind of maneuver live fire where you have several different elements and they're all attacking or they're accomplishing some end state all together. Um, and when these companies and platoons and squads are going back to a, to do after action reviews, they don't, they don't really get access to that like stuff. They can't, there's not an easy way to get access to the radio traffic and stuff. So that's what we wanted to do. We wanted those guys to be able to play the stuff back because going back to what I was saying about the fighter pilots, I was always envious about how good those guys get on the radio because they're hold they're held accountable by what they say. So like, you know, their boys are like, for lack of a better term, giving them shit if they suck until they get better. Um, and man, they are able to quickly, uh, very, very quickly and efficiently give out, you know, very complex tasks in a 3d space going, you know, 600 knots. Um, and I always was like, man, we should really tighten it up as ground forces um, and we could increase lethality uh, by doing that. And that's what the, where the discus T came from. That was just from personal experience, uh, you know, and dealing with maneuvers yeah. on the ground side. It's interesting how much uh, new technology um, that we use was initially started for um, or came about because of needs for aviation. And then from mm-hmm. there trickled down like uh, heads up yeah. display and, uh, mm-hmm. night vision panoramic night vision was yep. uh fusion systems uh for goggles mm-hmm. it was all initially um for aircraft and and then someone got a hold of it and said hey this would be really cool not in an f-16 yeah yeah night vision is crazy um it's funny uh the night vision stuff going it's not funny but just interesting to me the night vision stuff going on too there's like this wide proliferation of night vision huge um, proliferation and I, yeah i was able to get goggles recently uh i've got my own night vision now i'm super you know excited and i've been using them a lot uh but like i curse the government when i put those on because i'm like you sent me to <laughs> war with such shit and now i was like we could have we could have like been so much more lethal if we had these just like 10 years ago you know i the war was fought on PVS 14s. Anyone who says that is full of shit. Who says different is completely full of shit. That war was completely fought on 14 deltas on some 19 to 25 year olds heads. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it, I, to, you know, and I, I always go back to all the comments that I read online, but some of them, you know, just coming from my perspective are, ridiculous i'm sure from their perspective they're completely uh valid points but from mine i'm just like whatever you do not need this crazy night vision like we were kicking ass with 14s um and i could drive a truck with 14s 
I can do a lot of tasks with 14s. I fast roped with 14s on. Uh, you know, the only thing I haven't done is like <laughs> jumped out of a plane with 14s, uh, a static line, but we just don't wear nods when we static line. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what I always think. Of. If a kid's looking for a cheap pair of night vision, he should definitely go for the 14s. Yeah. It's not super tactical. Cool. Yeah, you know, that's, I mean, it's not, it, they're not as great as some of the stuff that's out there, but you can do work with 14s on. I've seen it done. Well, especially, uh, you know, you can get these super high end tubes in the 14s. I personally run dual 14s because then oh, I can cool. break one off for the wife. But yeah, you know, it's, actually, it's, it, it's not the G14. It? She, yes, she's, uh, going a bit off the deep end right now into <laughs> all the same stuff we're interested in. Oh, very cool. is, it's so funny because you, you describe it to someone like, Oh, it's why would you spend that so much money? And it lets you see in the dark. It's like, no, no, no. You have to, you have to try Cause describing, yeah, you can see in the dark is very different from someone putting it on and realizing it's pitch black, but I can see everything. Yeah. I will never forget the first time that I used my vision like for real. Um, I was in basic training and they were just starting to give like night vision to privates. They didn't have this stuff like uh, basic training uh, way back then. And we were doing a night live fire and I was like, like not live fire, but we we're doing like a night fam range, I think on, on Benning and we were shooting tracers and I was expecting it to be like this amazing experience. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted it to be like laser being like just going crazy. And I was so let down because I, my shit wasn't even focused. Like, and I didn't understand that it wasn't focused. And I was just like shooting to shoot. Um, but later on I had my, you know, once I got to my organization and I had a fire team leader, uh, named Ed brand, God rest his soul. He got killed in Iraq. Um, he was just like the meanest, uh, big brother you could ever have. And he like made me figure out how to use all of this equipment. Like per he would like make me know how to focus it in perfectly. Uh, and I, that's when I had my first experiences, like walking under nods and stuff. And it's just so cool. Uh, it's an, it's an overmatch thing, you know, it just enables your eyes to do much more than they normally can. Uh, I don't know that so I've cool. ever put night vision on someone for the first time and they didn't like just start giggling. Yeah. Same with, with, uh, especially at the sky, when you're seeing all the, the stars. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Ripping then, on with a machine gun for the first time is a very cool experience. It's quite neat. It's yeah. Yeah. We uh I, that was uh, to be my first American. like uh, yeah. My first like, <laughs> experience was uh that was a PFC uh gun team leader. Normally in like weapon squads you don't have very many NCOs, you typically just have like a very senior staff sergeant. And then there's a bunch of young, young soldiers, specialists usually being like the second highest to those, the, the weasel, we call them the weapon squad leader who controls the machine guns in the infantry, uh, the medium machine guns in the infantry platoon. And like the, for when I got over there and started working on that 240, man, I like fell in love with the 240. Um, I became <laughs> like, works. Mm -hmm. the 240 has that effect on people. The more people we talk yeah. to about it, it really just, it's that gun for a lot of people. 249s are a very love-hate relationship for a lot of people, especially depending oh, yeah. on how, how clapped out the 249 was that they received. But we've yet, yeah. to, yet to talk to anyone that's like, oh, God, I hated the 240. 
Oh man, I've got some, I remember some experiences like I was doing um, live fires at Fort Dix one time and it was like in the middle of winter and there's snow on the ground. I've never been to Fort Dix. I wasn't expecting it to be that cold out, uh, but it was, it was cold as shit. And we're out doing live fires. And I remember my, uh, my uh, 249 gunner, I'm going to throw his name out there, Woodard. Uh, hope he listens. I'll, I'll hit him up and have him listen. He was having just a hell of a time with our saw. And uh, he was trying to work it with a Gerber. And I remember we get we kept getting like recocked. And recocked means like when you're, uh, you have like go, no-go criteria for these like live fires and all these training exercises. And you have like leadership watching you and they're going down this like matrix, go, no-go. And we kept like no-going so many tasks that we kept getting recocked over and over and over again. I just wanted to drop kick that 249, but really it was just us being uh, kind of naive to the weapon. Uh, we didn't know how to maintain it <clears throat> properly or or what were the key points, but we learned. And then, you know, by the time we left Africa, uh, he was shooting that saw a lot at the range. We were like extremely lethal with it. I mean, I went, once you like know the quirks of that weapon, you can be extremely effective with it. Just got to yeah, get to know it. She, she can be a fickle bitch sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I know ours yeah. was a, uh, yeah. Ours has a hiccup every now and then that it's just, yeah, it's, you, it's still it's so sometimes cool it makes you want to beat your head. Just, yeah, it's so oh, yeah. cool. And then, and and then it runs right. Goes. Yeah, it yeah. Goes. When it runs right, it just oh, okay. Yeah. I remember why I fuck with this gun so much. Yeah, it's very cool. Machine guns are uh, very, 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 very cool. Yeah, it's you know, it's all that stuff that it never stops being cool. Yeah. Even you know, I spent the whole you know years and years and years around all of that stuff and it still to me is cool i still stop and watch a video i still like hear you know like where i live you can hear a lot of the <clears throat> big live fires going on on brag um and i listen outside and i can hear you know like a mach certain machine gun getting after it and break you know makes me get a stop and listen or if i <laughs> see a helicopter flying over like i'm stopping and watching you know, oh, every time. Black it, it doesn't matter your age or your profession. Yeah. If, cool, if yeah. something cool flies overhead, you have to stop and watch it. Yeah. I'm like looking, my wife cracks up because like, I'm like busting through the door. If I hear like a rotary flying over just to see what it is, you know, our, oh, we'll do this our shop. shop. Yeah. Our shop yeah. is on the approach path for Peterson air force base. And every now and then something cool, cool comes in and we'll hear the ground rumbling. We have to yeah. run outside and go see what it is. And, Sometimes yeah, the, like if we're like in the middle of something and we hear it and it's like, oh, that's like a two flight of Chinooks. Okay. But then yeah. you, you get the the undescribed the the grumble you've never heard before. And Derek and I excited. and wife actually, yeah, all three of us will stop and look at each other. And Derek and I will run outside and <laughs> try to find it through the trees. Yep. Yeah. It's very cool. Um <laughs> It's just that stuff, all of that stuff never ceases to be very awesome. You know, there's just a young, I don't know what it is. It's like something ingrained in like dudes, especially. Oh uh, yeah. They're, they're Plain attracted cool. to that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just, um, it's the toxically masculine urge to look <laughs> at the things that kill people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, that might be a part of it deep down, deep, deep down. Uh, but I think it's, some of it too it's just it, it's intriguing it's like you know but like i wonder what those guys are up to you know like i wonder where they're going like i uh, oh that's so cool i've never seen like a black hawk flying that high before like i wonder what they're up to you know it makes your head start kind of going oh yeah um, especially here we get a lot of the 160th 
uh, helicopters yeah. come yeah. kind of our area for modifications. That's a weird yeah. Black Chinook. Yeah, that's yeah. a weird Black Chinook. Damn, what are those big lobes on it? Why does it look like it has tumors? Yeah. <laughs> I have um, a very big admiration for that uh, for Swore, and uh, I'm super proud of what those guys do all the time for everyone. And they are some very hardworking dudes. The hardest. You know, some I wouldn't say the hard lit the hardest because I mean everywhere in the service guys work like super hard and guys are really driven and that's something that I don't think a lot of people that don't get a glimpse behind the curtain into the military don't understand is like there are like true professionals everywhere um, that are like legitimate like professionals at their craft whatever it is but in that unit in particular you have so many maintainers and pilots and. Uh, gray eagle operators and and everything else and they're just like dedicated um they're very very good pilots and yeah I, you're you're absolutely right man if i see if i see the magic school bus flying around and see that big <laughs> old pug coming out of the front i'm just like a little fist up in the air just like go get them boys like that's <laughs> badass to me oh yeah <clears throat> it's it's even cooler when you google it and there's no results yeah, well, that's the flight path. Oh, there is none. Cool. Oh, oh, yeah, those guys. Yeah, that ABS is that ABS is that what it's called? The uh, ADSB. Oh, that's a ADSB. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's very cool. I I get on there and look at uh, airplanes flying around from time to time. I've been meaning to uh, start messing with it personally, like with a receiver, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Oh yeah, the receivers are cool. I mean, like now the going back to the commercial drones, those have ADSB receivers on. Them. Mm-hmm. which is yeah it's, uh, yeah it's nuts i had my little um my mavic um it will get warnings if i'm just like you know tooling it around if an aircraft comes in the area like i get a warning on the screen saying there's like an aircraft and then the, you know i'll bring it back down to where i can keep my eye on it it's it mad uh, yells at you when you buzz the tower of the local airport yeah, with, yeah you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so it, yeah that's that's interesting that all that tech is becoming integrated you know yeah yeah fun fact the drones will not warn you about military aircraft not on adsb um shout yeah, out to the buckley f-16 that buzzed uh, uh us in the drone that was cool <laughs> yeah i think those guys you know they have uh, there's a lot of mcom like emissions control stuff in those aircraft and they can turn on and off a lot of systems and i think a lot of times oh, yeah. just watching you know you know, I see the same stuff everybody that's listening to this sees. Like, I scroll Instagram, you know, I see all the cool stuff on there and all the news posts about the, or even on, like, Twitter. I recently, like, started getting on Twitter. Um, there's a lot of threads that follow that stuff. And I think I think a lot of that stuff goes into some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, like super smart guys mm-hmm. uh, doing stuff. And I think, you know, when they have them turned on and turned off, it's, you know, they're not they're doing it on purpose oh yeah they, yeah, they know about. the the army of internet autists that write down every single thing that pops up mm-hmm. all that yeah <clears throat> i think a lot of times you know they keep them on just to flex you know like a, <clears throat> they'll follow like a lot of these like shows of force bomber formations that are going you know the last one i think was the, going to israel for this big uh, joint exercise they had out with israel recently and there's a bunch of b-52s that flew out there and they all had like their transponders turned on, and they did that. You know, it's, that's a flex. That's hundred yeah, percent intentional. I remember look at what um, we yeah. can do, losers. I remember exactly when the yeah, invasion of Ukraine first started, and we checked, and mm-hmm. the um, it was a global hawk that was circling for mm-hmm. an insane amount of time, and it had its 
uh, transponder on. It's letting everyone know, hey, retards, we're watching you. Yeah, yeah, I think that is a very that is absolutely correct. Yeah, the Ukraine stuff, man, it's so crazy to me. You know, I, when I was over there, uh, we were working with uh, the um, Ukraine. It's the NGU, so it's the Ukraine National Guard. And basically, after 2014, and I might have this incorrect. So if somebody listens and they they know the specifics, you know, please feel oh, free to uh, blow up my guns. Very open and correct. Uh, <laughs> but they uh were they they changed their police force to become their national guard so they basically established like a paramilitary force called the ngu um and the ngu some of their responsibilities were like uh deep area defense so the army was training pretty heavily with the united states you know really starting to build an nco core really starting to learn maneuver warfare from like a, a western perspective um, but the National Guard was really concentrating on like deep area defense, the defending, you know, um, sensitive sites in, in like the rear areas and doing all that. And I think that has like paid dividends for them. Um, I did not expect at all when I was over there, a lot of the guys that had fought already um, from 2014 and, and on, cause they were literally like a lot of people don't realize you, Ukraine is losing soldiers like daily. Mm-hmm. every day since they initially invaded in, in like 2014. Um, and they were, I mean, and they were dedicated to it. So they had like several years to keep the Ukrainians super pissed because they were losing dudes all the time. Um, but I think that <clears throat> when the guys over there, they were like going through some of this course, they were like, Hey, like the Russians, they probably will invade. And I was like, there's no way. In my head, I was like, there's no way they're going to do it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But man, when I saw that picture of the border guard running from his post and the lights were like turning off. Yeah. I was like, holy, like they're, they're really doing it. And I really did expect um, at least, you know, and I, and I I'm not a, an analyst or anything. This is just like a dude talking, but I really did expect them to perform better. Um, yes. And it really gave me a, um like not a confidence boost but just like a damn we are very good uh just just gave like our logisticians like a huge like damn you guys are really good at what you do because they're like logistics just like fell apart you know yes immediately. So with robust. the neighboring yeah. country they weren't even invading a different yeah. continent <laughs> our logistics <clears throat> and the professionals that are in there and i keep going back to professionals in the military um, they're like, they are good, man. They're, they're very good at what they do. Um, and you know, it's such an integrated system between, um, the department of defense and the civilian sector that it's just good, man. We have great logistics. Um, and I think that we saw there is just like fall and that's probably what stopped them. You know, when, when a unit gets an initial contact, you know, they're probably pretty good, like especially some of those Russian airborne forces that were doing some of those um, try, trying to establish like airheads, you know, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they probably, some of them probably re- met their initial objectives, but when it came to following on or, you know, they were starting to uh, need uh, logistical support. And to me from the outside looking in, cause I've, you know, I've not been there since it started and I don't know all the specifics of everything to me, looking at what I've seen, you know, it looks like that, that system kind of fell apart for them. Yeah. Um, 
so rapidly when when yeah. when it first happened i'm like oh damn this isn't looking good rip ukraine and yeah and then, i was then really the worried on the bus started falling off after a few weeks and like holy shit yeah the the guys that i <clears throat> trained over there um they were all very professional there some of them were some like hard chargers super fit super like re- eager to learn um and i'm I'm proud of, you know, what they've done to defend themselves from an invading foreign power. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty epic what they've been able to accomplish. Not only um, an invading foreign power, but one that the world has feared, or if, even if not <laughs> feared, they have kept their eyes on. Yeah, that, that, they're, uh, they're kind of, you know, crumbling before the world um, is, you know, it's, it's insightful, but it's also like really dangerous, I think, because I think that they that was what they had. That was like their flex. Right. So yeah. that was like Putin's flex. He knew he had this like military might. And we were all, you know, even me, like I was always like under the assumption that like you fucking don't talk on the radio. You're going to get blown up by a Russian rocket like their artillery forces are so good. Like all that stuff is so good. They're so well trained. And we had heard. You know, we started hearing all these rumors, one of them in particular that I've heard like regurgitated like 20, 30 times from different sources. So I'm sure there's some validity. Is that the right word? Yeah. Uh, To it is um, there were some guys during the initial invasion that were getting like text messages saying they needed to like call their parents because there was an emergency. And so they would try to call and then they would get targeted and then they would text their family saying that they had killed their son. Um, and I was like, man, that's some, that's some 21st century, like getting at like crazy, you know, tech, tech warfare stuff. Yeah. Um, but watching what has happened, I'm sure that they have a, I'm sure that they have a legitimate EW capability, but I don't think it's anything like what we had expected. You know, I think there was a lot of posturing and flexing. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and how both. have been bitten by people um misusing or overusing social media and i'm, I'm yeah that's true you know yeah just the, the, we the call tagging yeah. their position <laughs> in the field yeah we call uh there's like a little nickname that we call like young soldiers and at least in the army we call him joe yeah, i don't know where he came from but you know joe is the, just imagine like a private who knows no better um yeah you know, Joe will always get you in trouble. He yeah, saw some of the stuff with like the dating sites and they had been geolocated because they were like trying to find women in the area. And I was like, well, Joe will be Joe. You know, like <laughs> it, that shit's going to happen. Um, I loved uh, the Chechen TikTok battalion. They, oh, they yeah. quieted down, but when they first showed up, God, that was, that was a lot of fun to watch. The, the, I don't know if you saw, it's just this whole, um, I don't know if it's actually battalion, but it was a lot of Chechen fighters that first arrived in country and they weren't actually like doing hardly any fighting on the front line. They were just staying in the back and like shooting at traffic lights and making TikTok dance videos and just having uh, yeah. a grand old time. Yeah. Posting everything constantly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure that those guys probably got walloped. Yeah. <laughs> there were definitely a couple TikTok pages that, uh, are no posting a, anymore? Uh, no, for a fact, one of the dudes was like posting from their their uh, like artillery shelter or whatever, mm. and uh, sure as shit, like the next day they honed in and uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy too. No with, um, the uh, how 
I see a lot of these pages geolocate stuff really quickly. Yeah. Um, and that's very dangerous. I mean, that's, 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 you got to look at that from both perspectives, but geolocation, uh, I'm sure if, uh, guys are able to do it on Instagram in like 24 hours and figure out where something's oh, yeah. sorted the, from, you know, the world's that, greatest game of capture the flag with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that there are systems that are, uh, you know, more robust on the, the nation state side that can quickly geolocate, geolocate stuff. And I, you know, I don't know. I don't have any, personal insight into that but i'm sure that those systems exist oh yeah (laughs) i'm sure i think it's hilarious uh whenever um foreign powers will will, like make these grand posts about all their capabilities and then the u.s is sitting in the corner real quiet like hmm and you guys have to wonder what what aren't we advertising russia and china uh bragging about their hypersonic weapons and the u.s hasn't (laughs) said a damn thing said oh hey look at our new sixth gen bomber yeah, I had a real interesting conversation um, a few weeks ago, and I can't remember who with, but I talked to a lot of cool people. Um, but we were kind of talking about lost tech. So, you know, like when you would play, I don't know if you guys ever played like Civilization when you were yep. younger. Oh, yeah. or, you know, you go down like Still these play. tech trees um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it opens up like the, all, all these other possibilities. Like hypersonic weapons is like one of them. We were looking at that like years and years and years ago. Um, we went down like that hypersonic uh, tech tree, basically, and, I, and and it makes me always wonder. Just just being the guy that looks up at Blackhawks and is like an admiration, you know, is there? Did we find another tech tree that we decided to go down? That we oh, just, don't, sure. you know, that's not, you know, that's not public record, or you know, it's a it's a program that's uh, like a sensitive program. That's what I always wonder, and you know, then they get. Then, you know, an adversary, you know, goes back to hypersonics and is successful at some stuff and starts flexing. And then we get the political pressure to go down that tech tree again. And then that's uh, the the way that I kind of look at it. I, I'm always like, well, if we're, we're probably a few steps ahead um, and, and some, um, some other tech tree. And we had to go back to this old stuff and, and, and continue to unlock you know more tech down yep. the line a little bit just based off what our adversaries are doing at least you hope that's the way it goes right uh, you know yeah. i, I like a, to think when it, yeah when it comes to comes to some of that stuff i think i'm a bit of a uh exactly right like i'm i'm hoping that that is what's going on you know there might be just some gross incompetence there because it is the government but yeah uh, you hope you know, they're maybe, smart enough ex- yeah exactly I, I think that they probably are. I, I think I have a lot of faith in our. Uh, yeah, uh, I have a lot of faith in in certain parts of our uh, defense apparatus that they're do, they're doing oh, yeah. the right thing and they're really there, trying. There might be gross incompetence on the government side, but I'm pretty sure the private companies making that shit, Raytheon, is probably not probably a little bit more put together. Yeah, you know, yeah, that that, that and I think that. Um, I'd like to think that there are just some big brains on bread out there that are um, always kind of pushing the envelope and making sure that we have an advantage. And I think that our foes really know that too, that um, there's probably a lot of stuff in our, in our inventory that they have just are not ready to deal with. Um, yeah. So eh, anyways, who knows? Maybe part of this uh, political circus we have is uh, that intentional deception. <laughs> I hope so. 
That makes me feel better about it, but yeah. <laughs> people complain about yeah, our political circus. Not. And then I see clips of um like these like British Greek parliament. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Greek parliament where people are throwing chairs at each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were close to that at points, aren't we? And I think that some of those guys want to go to fisticuffs. If they could, they'd like throw a phone book at somebody. In that, in that Sometimes yeah. I wish they just would. I'd watch C-SPAN yeah. a lot more if that's what oh, was yeah. happening. Yeah, whatever happened. Yeah. C-SPAN's still around. They still yeah. doing their thing. There was yeah. just a big thing that uh, for like the first time ever, uh, C-SPAN was allowed to control the cameras inside like the Senate chamber. Uh, instead of the government controlling it and they got a whole bunch of hilarious shit i mean literally people (laughs) about to go fisticuffs that the government usually doesn't allow c-span to air but (laughs) c-span said no we're we're driving the bus now this is gold yeah Yeah, this this is good tv i'll tell you a funny story um not about our government but about the the government in ukraine when i was over there i was staying uh, in a place i want to say it's called breeze bro it's out it's right it's outside of kiev it's the same town that their major international airport is that kiev's major international airport is in it's outside of kiev and um i was watching the tv and it's all in ukraine i can't understand anything and like i'm in this room and the room looks like it's straight out of like a tom clancy novel like it's stuck in 1986 <laughs> and there's like this old CRT TV on and I'm trying to like flip through and see what's on. And they have like one of their political channels on and they were using the cameras inside of either, you know, whatever the parliament, I'm not sure what their names are, but they were looking at like guys watches and like iPhones and they were like bringing up on the screen how much they cost. Um, and they were trying to say, these guys are all like rich, you know, and like crooked. And they're like, this watch costs, you know, this many, this iPhone is this many and they're like calling all these guys out. And I was like, dude, this is like the same everywhere, man. Everybody just hates politicians. Like this is about <laughs> where you go. Like they're easy like, targets. The low hanging fruit just to flex on, you know? <laughs> like, good. I'm glad yeah, good. that the hatred for government is universal. I think it's pretty universal. <laughs> yeah. I think in the United Hilarious. States, you know, we have this, um, uh, the open market on talking smack about politicians. So it's probably, you know, much more easy to and much more prevalent than some of these countries with more restrictive. Uh, yeah. You know, rules the on really allows for some entertainment value. Yeah. Some, some yeah, good for, verbal blood sports. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. So what, uh, what else you guys want to talk about? I mean, I've got a, a, a port a glass of bourbon a few minutes ago, so. Oh, fantastic. Well, we got yeah, whatever you want to talk about. Mm. How was Shacho for you? Did you see anything uh, interesting or anything that really caught your attention? Shacho is always real interesting to me because there's so many people there and there's so many different like facets uh, of the gun culture that are there, you know, like representative. Mm-hmm. A lot of different all, branches. all the flavors of, of gun people are in one space. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, cool. I, you know, I, I did a lot of the thermal sites I saw, I thought were very cool. I, I saw a lot of like um, different uh, enabler. An enabler is like something that makes something better. Um, mm-hmm. So like you attach it to make it better. Um, That's not what the news tells really, me. Yeah, I saw a really cool and a lot of really cool enablers there. There's a lot more night vision there than had been in the past. Um, I saw a lot of really novel, not when it's called novel, but to me, novel and very cool gun sites. Like the one, the 
hollow sun that was like passed oh, around yeah. with thermal you know that was very cool to me um i was wondering thermal sites that you know my personal experience with thermal sites especially on like crew serve weapon systems so like machine guns um when you really start getting after it the heat from the barrel um really starts to uh yep cause like a mirage that causes the thermal weapon site to really kind of and i think that's where the big boys you know like these companies that are throwing you know millions in the r&d and everything and in these smaller companies there's like a there's like a separation because these really expensive systems uh can really compensate for that but some of these like new systems you know i don't know the amount of testing they've done on them and stuff for for things like that for compensating for you know barrel heat and things um, I know that's why Holosun's uh, uh, sensors on top of the optic was for that exact yeah, issue. It, yeah, it's trying to get it as far away from the barrel as possible. Because, I mean, you really get after it with a machine gun for a while, man. And those barrels get oh, like... Yeah. Uh, a buddy of ours just recently got out of the Marine Corps and he said all their 240s that they um, received... What is it? The, is the Pass 13, the big giant thermal site? Um, yeah, the Pass 13. So... You know, the PAS-13, people throw that around like it's like a like one system. The PAS-13 actually had a couple different sites. So depending on the gnomic, so it's like PAS-13, you know, like Charlie, Delta. Uh, depending on the variant that you had, you had a light weapon site and you had a heavy weapon site. Um, and some were designed for like lighter weapons, you know, like 249 and even M4. Um, and the heavy weapon sites were designed for, you know, medium machine guns and heavy machine guns. And inside of the PAS-13, you can actually change the bullet drop compensator between all of these different weapon systems. So you can change it from like 240 to 50 cal, and it will change the BDC in there, which is very cool. I'd like to give the PAS-13 some props. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and that's something they're, uh, they're integrating into the new weapon site. The yeah, they are mm-hmm. yeah, that's the a profiles. very cool thing. And uh, a couple of years ago at a conference on Bragg, they on Fort Bragg, every every so often they have these like conferences and they also have like big ones like down at Benning, like the Warfighter Conference, where a bunch of vendors yeah. come and show some like super sexy kit and gear. That's where um, you see the new and, Abrams and shit. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Or AUSA, which is like the the creme de la creme. That's like the big one, you know, the Army Association. Um, they, I saw that uh, weapon site a couple of years ago, and the guy was explaining that it was going to link wirelessly to the new NVGs, um, and that that a lot oh. of people, um, a lot of people don't uh, understand why that's like such a great capability. But when you're like a gunner on a fifty on a truck just having that sight like pop up in your eye, not having to like get behind it and like sight it in it is like a huge advantage. Um, we were trying, you, you can do it with the past 13. There's a video out port on the past 13 that used to connect with a, with a, a hood, like a helmet mounted display or heads up display that, that, used to come with some uh it was a program i don't know if it was a program of record or something just got pushed out but i had my gunners and i was a delta company platoon sergeant in the 82nd so we had the the heavy weapons trucks we had like tow missiles and 50 cows 
Um, I had my gunners use it and they were pretty successful using it like that. Um, they would, they're pretty lethal. Uh, super proud of those guys. That was, a uh, and second battalion, 504th parachute infantry regiments, shout out to the devils. Um, but they were super, super lethal at that. And like just getting that to your eye um, very quickly and without like a bunch of cabling with that new system is super, super cool. And I think it'll increase lethality a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. Like the the new features being added uh, with the connectivity between like the E-Cody and ATAC. Yeah, yes. it's it's just a matter it's, of time. We're before... slowly approaching just a Tom Clancy like heads yeah, up yeah. display. I'll, I'll shout out uh, Precor. Um, which is a really cool company uh, that uh, Mike Oliveira and Fred uh, are running. They do a lot of classes and stuff, but Mike's a super knowledgeable guy. And he was the first one. We had a phone call and he was telling me about ATAC and the integration with eCody and how that looked. And I had never used it personally. Like I, I didn't know about any of these capabilities until he told me. And it's, it's kind of mind blowing. It's very, very, very cool. We're just so good at killing each other. <laughs> yeah that's a, you know, you know unfortunately you know that's the thing you know and it, i think that's been since the first dude like figured out that he can get a stick and beat somebody with it everyone's been trying to figure out the best stick <laughs> um and we have some really kinda, good sticks yeah it sucks and we know how to and, swing them too <laughs> yeah yeah it sucks in one from one perspective but another perspective it's like what you have to do just to make sure that everyone can just live their lives and not be bothered yeah and regardless of of personal perspective everyone can agree some of the shit that comes out of it is really cool yeah (laughs) like going back to that blackhawk thing looking up we're just enamored by it because it's just it's just cool tech you know it's like wow humans humans can do this shit Mm-hmm. especially like aircraft and stuff flying has almost become trivial for humans yeah it's crazy Which is wild <laughs> considering how short it's been around right yeah that's you know exactly it's yes that is uh the introduction of all this stuff in the past you know 120 years um is absolutely crazy it um, makes you wonder how, where it's gonna go yeah you know and i i my personal opinion on it is like in in my lifetime, hope you know, not hopefully, but I think it will happen. Usually, when like the U.S. gets kind of when we get kind of pissed off at someone, we'll like park a carrier battle group outside their country. You know, like they know we mean business. We move like a carrier battle. You know, in my lifetime, we used to always hear about them moving them into the Persian Gulf because somebody yeah. over there was like doing something that was pissing off the United States. So I think. Yeah, I think eventually you'll get to, um, they're going to park a drone swarm off their coast. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, oh, my God. And you're starting, to, you're starting to see a lot of that. I just read a great article. Um, I forget the, it was on Soldier Systems. I don't know if you guys know um, Eric over yeah. Soldier Systems. Great dude, great website, um, has a bunch of great information on it. And man, he is a, a super nice guy that runs that website. And he's super... Um, you know, when he sees like uh, young companies coming up, he's not afraid to like post something right there. And then the next, you know, article will be about like L3. You know, he is just a super cool dude. Um, he, what was I going through? Oh, yeah. He posted an article about uh, Gray Eagle, which is like the Army's version of the Predator. 
um, be they're testing, you know, this drone is now carrying drones. You know, its payload is drones. It's going to be able to launch this the smaller drone, and it had a really silly name like Mini Mini, Mini Gray or something. I can't remember exactly. Um, so they're able to like drop a drone from the drone, and I think that's what you're going to end up seeing is teams of teams of drones. And yeah, the catchphrase in the service for a while was you know Mum T, which is like manned on man teaming. And I think you're going to start seeing like on manned, on manned, on man teaming, you know, teams of teams of teams of these drones all working together towards an end state. That's terrifying. Um, yeah. And you look at, you know, when you recently, when you see like the lack of labor in the commercial market, so like at McDonald's now, a lot of the, um, like uh, the ordering uh, kiosks, the ordering kiosks are you're getting taken over. They just by opened machines. their first completely automated McDonald's in the U.S. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what you'll see is, I, I think you know, and this is just Josh talking. You know, I'm not an expert, but I think no, you'll you see here. Here, listen <laughs> to all this. This is gospel. <laughs> I think that you'll see um, the military really la- looking at this lack of labor force, and they've got to compensate for it. So you're going to see a lot more machines coming to bear because it's it's cheaper in the long run. You know, machines they don't they don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about uh, labor laws, leave labor. You know, any of that stuff. You know, their machines are just going to do what you tell them to when you tell them to do it. I think they're really going to start moving a lot of the tasks to like automation um, in the service. And that will allow them to concentrate on like much more lethal small forces. I think eventually the entire, you know, the manpower, like the, the hammer of the DOD will eventually go to like very small amount of people. I think the amount of manpower will be cut like drastically in our lifetimes, but the amount of uh, automation and like drones will be increased drastically in our lifetime. There'll be like a fundamental shift there. And I think, going on right now our commanders are just trying to figure out it's like similar to world war one where you had all these generals in world war one that were they a lot of like for instance like admirals in world war one when they were to like captains they were on like steam powered ships you know and things changed so drastically during that war that they just did not have an understanding on how to fight their force anymore. Like they just were like out of scope to change so drastically. I think now we're at a a point where maybe some decision makers are kind of just out of scope, but as they get moved, you know, retire, you know, normal attrition happens, they're going to get replaced by guys that are much more comfortable with this stuff. And you'll see a fundamental change in how, you know, maneuver warfare is fought uh, just with, a lot of machines, which it's, it's scary and cool all at the same time, you know, like it's, yeah, I think there's going to be some big, uh, it, we're, we're rapidly just, heading towards uncharted waters in a, a lot of those areas. Big, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, you know, Elon Musk said, and I, I read a lot of his stuff because like, he's like a, you know, serial entrepreneur and I, I'm an entrepreneur and I think that a lot of the stuff he's done is just like so badass. Um, but I, he talks about AI being like very dangerous and we really need to look at it. Yes. I, I think the same thing. I think that we really need to look at it um, from the perspective of the constitution, you know, like mm-hmm. making sure that we are within our constitution while we're doing, making a lot of these rules 
um, and, and kind of keeping some of that in check. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 the problem is well, a lot of it, not, not the problem is the byproduct is as we've already talked about a few times today, that technology is moving so fast and for the most part, um, government and society and all that stuff doesn't. And technology is rapidly outpacing these things or having to, ask these these ethical questions about stuff that has never never been an issue before yeah, by the time we figure one out it's three generations ahead onto something mm-hmm. else i mean you couldn't imagine like the wright brothers um i don't think in their wildest dreams they could have thought about what like air no, the wright brothers are 747 yeah. yeah you know show them show them some of these like aircraft doing these like super crazy maneuvers you know and just the capability that they have and the offensive stuff um i think that they it, it, impossible for them to wrap their head around um yeah. so i i think that's kind of where we're going with some of this technology um is it's impossible for us to kind of wrap our head around how it'll plan out but it's going to pan out one way or the other yeah it'll you know, it'll be to... interesting to watch regardless mm-hmm. yeah we'll have to just really you know hopefully the right people are keeping their eye on it and yeah, if we keep it within the framework of our constitution i think that for us it'll work out okay um but yeah it's just something to always keep your eye on it'll be crazy regardless all right, Josh, thank <laughs> you so much for coming on. This has been a fantastic conversation. Where can yeah, people man. find you and your fantastic products? Yeah, so they can just go to disco32.com. That's our website. Or they can uh, find us on Instagram at like disco underscore 32. Um, yeah, we're, we always post stuff and we're really just dedicated to bringing quality products to market. And with the, with the end state of bringing a lot of this capability back on shore to the United States. A lot, a lot of this manufacturing stuff that has been sucked uh, into the, you know, in the communist China, we're trying to bring that back on shore and, and doing it in a way where we're completely, you know, we've never asked for money from anyone. You know, we didn't take like a PPP loan. We didn't do you know, any of that stuff. We just were investing everything back into American uh, manufacturing and hiring people and, and just trying to be solid, uh, solid dudes, um, taking care of our customers and, and providing, you know, products that solve problems that tactical communicators have on a day-to-day basis. So, yeah, I appreciate Lord you guys having me on. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know if I rambled a little bit. I'm no, a tendency to no, ramble. It, it, um, it's so refreshing having a guest that, you know, actually like talks and has a conversation. We've, we've had some guests in the past that um, are super cool guys, with super cool stories, but um, either aren't able to really talk about um, anything or uh, re- uh, reciprocate our questions with uh, one word answers. Yeah. So no, I appreciate you. Yeah, pre- rambling. <laughs> Well, I appreciate the opportunity and I'm not, you know, I'm just a dude, you know, something special here. Uh, I just, I really appreciate uh, everyone's support, you know, all of our customers and like the guys on Instagram that follow us and other social media and, you know, dudes that hit me up in my, in the DMs. I I appreciate all that stuff. And uh, just thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fantastic. Hopefully we'll have you back on uh, when you have some more stuff to talk about and some more cool cool shit yeah, I hope so yeah that would be great that would be great I really appreciate it alright we'll stop the recording shut down